Section two of an American Idol. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mary Schneider. An American Idol: The Life of Carlton H. Parker by Cornelia Stratton Parker. Chapter two. After we decided to get married, and that as soon as ever we could, I, being a freshman at the ripe and mature age of as mentioned just eighteen years, he a senior with no particular prospects, not even sure as yet what field he would go into, we began discussing what we might do and where we might go. Our main idea was to get as far away from everybody as we could, and live the very fullest life we could. And at last we decided on Persia. Why Persia? I cannot recall the steps now that brought us to that conclusion, but I know that first Christmas I sent Carl my picture in a frilled high school graduation frock and a silk Persian flag tucked behind it, and that flag remained always the symbol for us, that we would never let our lives get stale, never lose the love of adventure, never settle down, intellectually at any rate. Can you see my father's face that sunny March day, charter day it was, when we told him we were engaged? my father being the conventional traditional sort who had never let me have a real caller even lest i become interested in boys and think of matrimony too young carl parker was the first male person who was ever allowed at my home in the evening he came seldom since i was living in berkeley most of the time and anyway we much preferred prowling all over our end of creation servant girl and policeman fashion also when i married according to father it was to be some one preferably an attorney of parts, about to become a judge, with a large bank account. Instead, at eighteen, I, and this almost unknown to him senior, stood before him and said, We are going to be married, or words to that general effect, and here is where I want you to think of the expression on the conservative father's face. Fairly early in the conversation, he found breath to say, And what, may I ask, are your prospects? None just at present. And where, may I ask, are you planning to begin this married career you seem to contemplate? In Persia. Can you see my father? Persia? Yes, Persia. And what, for goodness sake, are you two going to do in Persia? We don't know just yet, of course, but we'll find something. I can see my father's point of view now, though I am not sure, but that I shall prefer a son-in-law for our daughter, who would contemplate absolute uncertainty in Persia, in preference to an assured legal profession in Oakland, California. It was two years before my father became at all sympathetic, and that condition was far from enthusiastic. So it was a great joy to me to have him say a few months before his death, You know, Cornelia, I want you to understand— that if I had had the world to pick from, I'd have chosen Carl Parker for your husband. Your marriage is a constant source of satisfaction to me. I saw Carl lose his temper once, and once only. It was that first year that we knew each other. Because there was such a difference between his age and mine, the girls in my sorority house refused to believe there could be anything serious about our going together so much, and took great pains to assure me in private that of course Carl meant nothing by his attentions, to which I agreed volubly, and they scolded him in private because it would spoil a freshman to have a senior so attentive. We always compared notes later and were much amused. But words were one thing, actions another. 
since there could be nothing serious in our relationship naturally there was no reason why we should be left alone if there was to be a rally or a concert the senior sitting at the head of the dinner table would ask how many are going tonight with a man hands how many of the girls are going together hands then to me are you going with carl a faint yes then we'll all go along with you carl stood it twice twice he beheld his cavalcade bear away in our wake then he gritted his teeth and announced never again the next college occasion was a rally at the greek theatre again it was announced at the table that all the unescorted ones would accompany carl and me i foresaw trouble when i came downstairs later with my hat and coat on there stood carl surrounded by about six girls all hastily buttoning their gloves his sister who knew no more of the truth about carl and me than the others being one of them never had i seen such a look on carl's face and i never did again his feet were spread apart his jaw was set and he was glaring when he saw me he said come on and we dashed for the door sister helen flew after us but carl the other girls carl stuck his head around the corner of the front door called defiantly damn the other girls banged the door to and we fled never again were we molested carl finished his senior year and a full year it was for him he was editor of the pelican the university funny paper and of the university of california magazine the most serious publication on the campus outside the technical journals he made every honor organization there was to make except the phi beta kappa he and a fellow student wrote the successful senior extravaganza he was a reader in economics and graduated with honors and he saw me every single day i feel like digressing here a moment to assail that old principle which my father along with countless others held so strongly that a fellow who is really worth while ought to know by his junior year in college just what his life work is to be a few with an early developed special aptitude do but very few carl entered college in august eighteen ninety six in engineering but after a term bounded had no further appeal for him but a fellow ought to stick at a thing whether he likes it or not if one must be dogmatic then i say a fellow should never work at anything he does not like one of the things in our case which brought such constant criticism from relatives and friends was that we changed around so much thank god we did it took carl parker until he was over thirty before he found just the work he loved the most and in which his soul was content university work and he was thirty-seven before he found just the phase of economic study that fired him to full enthusiasm his loved field of the application of psychology to economics and someone would have had him stick to engineering because he started in engineering he hurt his knee broad jumping in his freshman year at college and finally had to leave going to phoenix arizona and then back to the parker ranch at vacaville for the better part of a year the family was away during the time and carl ran the place alone he returned to college in august eighteen ninety eight this time taking up mining after a year's study in mining he wanted the practical side in the summer of eighteen ninety nine he worked underground in the hidden treasure mine placer county california in nineteen hundred he left college again going to the gold and copper mines of roslyn british columbia from august nineteen hundred to may nineteen o one he worked in four different mines 
it was with considerable feeling of pride that he always added i got to be machine man before i quit it was at that time that he became a member of the western federation of miners an historical fact which inimical capitalists later endeavored to make use of from time to time to do him harm how i loved to listen by the hour to the stories of those grilling days up at four in the pitch dark and snow to crawl to his job with the blessing of a dear old scotch landlady and a pasty he would tell our sons of tamping in the sticks of dynamite till their eyes bulged the hundreds of times these last six months i've wished i had in writing the stories of those days all of his days from early vacaville times on sometimes it would be an old vacaville crony who would appear and stories would fly of those boy times of the exploits on puta creek with peewee allen of the prayer meeting when carl bet he could outpray the minister's son and won of the tediously thought-out assaults upon an ancient hired man on the place that would fill a book and delight the heart of tom sawyer himself and how his mother used to sigh and add to it all if only he had ever come home on time to his meals and he has one son just like him carl's brothers tell me just give up trying to get jim home on time mama tried every scheme a human could devise to make carl prompt for his meals but nothing ever had the slightest effect half an hour past dinner time he'd still be five miles from home one article that recently appeared in a new york paper began they say of him that when he was a small boy he displayed the same tendencies that later on made him great in his chosen field his family possessed a distinct tendency toward conformity and respectability but carl was a companion of every alley bum in vacaville his respectable friends never won him away from his insatiable interest in the underdog they now know it makes valid his claim to achievement after the british columbia mining days he took what money he had saved and left for idaho where he was to meet his chum hal bradley for his first idaho trip a dream of theirs for years the idaho stories he could tell oh why can i not remember them word for word i have seen him hold a room full of students in berlin absolutely spellbound over those adventures with a bit of parker coloring to be sure which no one ever objected to i have seen him with a group of staid faculty folk sitting breathless at his clearwater yarns and how he loved to tell those tales three and a half months he and hal were in hunting fishing jerking meat trailing after lost horses having his dreams of idaho come true if our sons fail to have those dreams when hal returned to college the wanderlust was still too strong in carl so he stopped off in spokane washington penniless to try pot luck there were more tales to delight a gathering in spokane he took a hand at reporting claiming to be a person of large experience since only those of large experience were desired by the editor of the spokesman review he was given sport society and the tenderloin to cover at nine dollars a week as he never could go anywhere without making folks love him it was not long before he had his cronies among the sports kind souls in society who took him in and at least one strong loyal friend who called him bub and gave him much excellent advice that he often used to refer to who was the owner of the biggest gambling joint in town spokane was wide open in those days and some town it was the society friends who seemed to have saved his life 
for nine dollars did not go far even then i have heard his hostesses tell of the meal he could consume but i'd been saving for it all day with just ten cents in my pocket i met a pal of those days who used to save carl considerable of his nine dollars by smooching his wash into his own home laundry about then carl's older brother boyd who was somewhat fastidious ran into him in spokane he tells how carl insisted he should spend the night at his room instead of going to a hotel is it far from here oh no so they started out with boyd's suitcase and walked and walked through the darndest part of town you ever saw finally after crossing untold railroad tracks and ducking around sheds and through alleys they came to a rooming house that was a holy fright it's all right inside carl explained when they reached his room there was one not overbroad bed in the corner and a red head showing snoring contentedly who's that the brother asked oh a fellow i picked up somewhere where am i to sleep right in here the bed's plenty big enough for three and boyd says though it was two a m and miles from anywhere he lit out of there as fast as he could move and he adds i don't believe he even knew that red-headed boy's name the reporting went rather lamely it seemed however the editor said that it read amateurish and he felt he would have to make a change carl made for some files where all the daily papers were kept and read and re-read the yellowest of the yellow as luck would have it that very night a big fire broke out in a crowded apartment house it was not on carl's beat but he decided to cover it anyhow along with the firemen he managed to get upon the roof he jumped here he flew there demolishing the only suit of clothes he owned but what an account he handed in the editor discarded entirely the story of the reporter sent to cover the fire ran carl's word for word and raised him to twelve dollars a week but just as the crown of reportorial success was lighting on his brow his mother made it plain to him that she preferred to have him return to college he bought a ticket to vacaville it was just about christmas time purchased a loaf of bread and a can of sardines and with thirty cents in his pocket the extent of his worldly wealth he left for california traveling in a day coach all the way i remember his story of how about the end of the second day of bread and sardines he cold-bloodedly and with a forethought cultivated a man opposite him who looked as if he could afford to eat and how the man came through and asked carl if he would have dinner with him in the diner to hear him tell what and how much he ordered and of the expression and depression of the paying host it tided him over until he reached home anyhow never mind the host all his mining experience plus the dark side of life as contrasted with society as he saw them both in spokane turned his interest to the field of economics and when he entered college the next spring it was to major in that subject may and june nineteen o three he worked underground in the coal mines of nanadimo in july he met nay moran in idaho for his second idaho camping trip and it was on his return from this outing that i met him and ate his jerked meat and loved him and never stopped doing that for one second end of chapter two